Well, good morning. Glad you're with us today, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us at home online. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. You know, last August, my family and I spent a, a couple of days uh, down in Tulsa helping my daughter uh, move into adulthood. Well, it's not quite true. She's been an adult for a while, but it's a new chapter or new phase of her life. She had finished grad school. Um, she'd secured a full-time job with benefits, yay, and she'd found an apartment. And uh, where she needed her help was moving all of her earthly possessions, and you'd be amazed at how much a young single woman can accumulate from, and she's from, from, from Stillwater to, to Tulsa. And, and this was a, this was a lot of work, but it was a proud dad moment. I was proud of her accomplishments. I was a, a proud of her hard work. And most importantly, I was proud of, of the young woman that she is. But I was glad to do something tangible for her. Uh, and of course, her apartment, they always are never on the first floor. Okay. Never on the first floor. Uh, she's been in three or four apartments. My son has been to a couple of apartments. They're never on the first floor, but, but it was, and it was hard work. I didn't mind, but it was a humid day. And finally, her brothers and I and her mom and she, we all got everything inside, but everything was still not in its place. So we all got signed different tasks to try to begin to organize things. So when we left, she would have some semblance of, of a living space. And my job, one of my jobs, first jobs was to assemble bunk beds in the spare bedroom. And, and these were beds that her brothers had slept in when they were younger. So I'd done it before. Now, if you're a husband, you know how your wife often will ask the question. I know you've done this before. It's been a while. Should you read the instructions? Um, you know where this is going. Um, I was almost ready to put the top bunk onto the bottom one, and we discovered that I'd made a mistake with a couple of the slats. And it was such a, put together in such a way that we had to undo almost all of what we'd done in the first place, and I was frustrated. It had been a long day, and I just wasted about 30 minutes or so. Now, we've all had those moments where we feel that we've wasted time at the end of a job, whether it's because the job was done wrong and we had to do it over, or because the job in the end wasn't really needed, or, or maybe it wasn't appreciated, and we think that our work has been in vain. Uh, some of these are, are mundane things, like assembling bunk beds, but some of them are much more important or vexing. You work hard, you get a degree, and you can't find a job in the area where you studied. Or you're in a relationship, and you go the extra mile, and you do your very best to make it work, and all of a sudden it's over and you wonder, did I just waste the last few years of my life? Was that all in vain? You try to do the right thing as a person, try to be a good moral person. And you keep having bad luck. Things don't work out for you. And you wonder, what's the point when you look around and see others who don't really try to do the right thing all the time and just look out for themselves. And it seems like good things just fall into place for them. And you wonder, is this worth it? King Solomon said this in his book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. And to drive home the point, he says it again. Everything is meaningless. What does this man gain from his labor at which he toils under the sun? Sounds like he'd be a really great guy to encourage you to be at a party. You're like, hey, what's going on, Solomon? How's your day? Great day. It's all meaningless. What's the point? You ever feel that way? You look at your life and you wonder, why do I work so hard? Why do I try so hard? Is the world making becoming a better place? Is my life 
making a difference? Is this all in vain? It's easy to feel that way sometimes, whether you believe in and follow Jesus or whether you don't. It's, it's easy to feel that way sometimes. Maybe we all have felt that way at times. If you've ever felt that way, we're going to pull out some things from this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. We're in the second week of a sermon series. We kicked it off last week, and we're entitling this, entitling this Finding Hope in a Hopeless World. And we're looking at what most scholars think was the Apostle Paul's first letter of the many that he wrote to the early church. It's the first letter to the Thessalonians, a, a, a church in Thessalonica, which is in modern-day Greece. It's a brand-new church plant. And last week we looked at the first chapter, and this week we're going to pick it up in chapter 2. Not the whole thing, but we're going to read parts of it. So you can follow along on the screen behind me. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now to verse 17. For brothers and sisters, when we were torn, torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So how do we begin to find hope in, in a hopeless world? What can we latch on to so that we know that our lives aren't being lived in vain? The things we're going to pull out of this passage, the first one is when we are discouraged and we, when we wonder if our lives are in vain, we have hope because sharing Jesus with others is never in vain. Now, maybe you have a good friend or maybe you have a family member who they, they, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't follow him. And they're on your heart and you pray about them constantly. You reach out to them. You try to talk to them about your faith. Try to model following Jesus. You don't do it perfectly, but you try really hard. But it's not received well. They just frankly want nothing to do with it. It's never in vain. It's just not. When you love someone enough to share your faith in Christ with them, when you love them enough to share your life with them, it's never wasted. God is always at work to take the seeds that you've sown and to cause them to grow. And maybe you'll see them grow in the life of your loved one or friend. Maybe you won't. Maybe somebody else might see them grow. But for sure, God will take your faithfulness and he will use it to grow you. See, when your motive is love, people will respect that, even if they don't see things the way that you like them to. Now, understand, it's not just about sharing your faith, doing the gospel presentation. It's about sharing your life as you live out your faith. And there's a difference. 
When we share our lives with others, when we invite them into our lives, it authenticates our faith. It affirms that we, it shows them that we really do care for them. And Paul understands that. Verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Do people know how dear they are to you? Or do they just know that you want them to follow Jesus? When we share Jesus and when we share our lives with them, it's never in vain. Secondly, we have hope because God is at work in and through us to produce something that will endure. Let's go back to Solomon for a minute. After pouring out his thoughts and his observations and his feelings about life and the meaninglessness of it in Ecclesiastes, he concludes his book by summarizing the point and purpose of life. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of human beings. And then Solomon wrote Psalm 127, where he makes a key distinction about our work and our lives. He wrote, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. The key distinction he's making, unless the Lord. In other words, our instincts are right. As we look around the world and we work and we labor, if the Lord's not involved, it, it really is in vain. It, it's, it's, it's in the end meaningless. It's, there is no purpose. If the Lord is involved, if it's in his will, if it's done for him and through us and through him, then it's not in vain. It will endure forever. God will not waste a single moment in an event of our life when we rest in him and we trust in him and work for him and through him. Paul is, is passionate about this belief. Paul wrote this about this idea. For I am confident that he who began a good work and you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Or Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. There's a missionary from America called Adoniram Judson who arrived in Burma, which is now Myanmar, back in 1812. He lived there for 38 years before he died. And while he was there, he underwent a lot of difficulty. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was kept in chains. His first wife died. And for several months, he was so depressed that he sat daily at her grave. Three years later, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. Have you ever felt that way? But Judson was a man of faith. He knew the scriptures walk by faith and not by sight. So he decided to continue to walk by faith. And he threw himself into the, the work that God had called him. He began to translate the Bible. The Old Testament, then the New Testament. And yet when he died, there were only between 12 and 25 or so professing Christians in the whole country. And there were no churches to speak of. And you wonder at the end of his life, he would look back at his life, those, those 38 years that he had suffered and bled and, and sweated and lost his wife and all the things he had gone through. And no doubt others were looking at his life as well and thinking, was that really worth it? A, a talented, gifted guy went across the world and that's all? At the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into the Burmese language, Paul Borthwick was the guest speaker. 
And they were celebrating Judson's work. And just before he got to speak, he noticed in small print on the first page of the Bible he was using that they'd given him, translated by Reverend A. Judson. So he turned to the interpreter, Matthew Wynn, and asked, Matthew, what do you know of this guy? And Matthew began to get very emotional. He said, we know him, and we know how he loved the Burmese people and how he suffered for the gospel because of us, out of love for us. He died a pauper, but he left us the Bible. And when he died, there were a few believers, but today there are over 600,000 of us, and every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. And Judson never saw that. We have hope because God is at work in and through us to produce something that will endure. And we are all called to invest our lives in in, in love in the people around us for the sake of the gospel. We have hope because God is at work in us and through us. Next, we have hope because the word of God is not human but divine. You know, one of the things that is always at the root of a person or a people or a society that falls away from God is a rejection of the authority of Scripture. When we ignore or dismiss God's word, when we assert it has no relevance or import upon our lives or world, what we're doing is we're walking away from hope. Should we be surprised at the growth in hopelessness and despair in our world? When we untether ourselves from the anchor of truth, This is just an inevitable consequence. Paul affirms the Thessalonians for this. They have received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. We don't have to ponder about or wonder about the meaning or purpose of life. We don't have to worry about whether our lives make a difference. We don't have to wonder if God loves us. We have hope because the word of God is not some human creation full of good stories and moral teaching. It's more than that. We have hope because God has spoken to us and sent us his son, Jesus, the word made flesh. Next, we have hope because of the transformed lives of people in whom we invest. Now, you know, Paul, at the end of his life, He really didn't have much to show for it materially or in all the ways that the world would define success. I mean, he was beheaded after spending the last few years of his life in prison. He had been beaten. He'd been run out of town several times. There were people who hated him, no doubt, who were glad when they received news of his execution. As far as we know, he was never married, never had children, didn't own a house. He spent much of his life as a Christian, as an itinerant, traveling from town to town, country to country, region to region, by ship or by foot. The churches he planted weren't mega churches. Most of them didn't have buildings. You read the letters, they were churches filled with moral failure, leadership crisis, divisiveness, uh, over all sorts of issues, cultural issues. There was, there was divisiveness about theology. There was false teaching that had to be careful was creeping in. These churches were viewed suspiciously by most in society. And yet Paul found great joy and hope in this. 
in the people whose lives had been transformed because of Jesus. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What's going to matter at the end of our lives? What's going to make our lives worthwhile? The people whose lives are transformed because we cared enough to invest in them, to share Jesus with them as we shared our lives. Who who are you investing in? Who will be your great hope? Your, your joy when you meet Jesus face to face. I, I want to close with another uh, verse from one of Paul's other writings. And, and the context is, is that Paul is writing to a different church, a church in Corinth. And it's a long letter, but in chapter 15, he begins to talk to them more about the resurrection of Christ. He does some teaching about it and what it means for them and, and how believers were someday going to be resurrected. You're going to see this theme later in, in 1 Thessalonians as well. And he says, because of Jesus' victory over sin and Satan and death, we have hope. And we know that no, no matter how hard our, our life may be, no matter how little difference we think we might be making, we have hope. And we're to not become discouraged and give in to it. We're, we're to hang in there. And we can know without a doubt that what we do for Christ matters and is not in vain. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We thank you for the way you redeem things in our lives, the way you have chosen to work in us and through us to partner with us. Um, and Lord, we know that when we, we link up with you, when we trust in you, when we rest in you and, and work through you and with you, Lord, that Nothing we do is in vain. That, uh, Lord, you, you take the things that we do in your name and those things will last for eternity. And so, Father, we, we just ask that you would help us, Lord, to have that perspective in the midst of a seemingly hopeless world, that we would be people marked by hope and that we would work hard for you and through you, sharing not only the good news of Christ in word, but also with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.